What a privilege it is to come again uh, into the presence of God. We're grateful again to the Spears for their leading in music this evening, uh, taking us into the heart of the Lord. What a privilege. Uh, this evening we're uh, going to be going through uh, 1 Samuel 15, uh, verses 1 through, 1 through 23. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, let's turn together to 1 Samuel 15, verses 1 through uh, 23. It's been a great honor and privilege to teach the youth uh, through some of these Old Testament characters. Uh, Some of these stories uh, have hard realities in them that uh, Christians have to deal with uh, in a way that uh, is not only sensitive, but in a way that is really straightforward. Uh, the story of Saul's uh, decline and his dismissal and his uh, being kicked out of his service as king of Israel is, is a story that uh, is sad, uh, but it's also a story that we should learn from uh, because the principles that God teaches us through this, uh, this chapter is not only for Saul and the children of Israel uh, that lived during uh, the time of Saul and the writing of the scripture, but it's also for us, uh, the church. Uh, so let's read the word of God and then spend some time reflecting on it. First Samuel 15, uh, starting verses 1. This is the word of the living God. And Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people Israel. Now therefore listen to the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I have noted what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came up out of Egypt. Now go and strike and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both men and women, children and infants, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. So Saul summoned the people and numbered them in Telim, 200,000 men on foot and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul said, and Saul came to the city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. Then Saul said to the Canaanites, Go, depart, go down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the people of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Canaanites departed from among the Amalekites. And Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah as far as shore, which is east of Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag, the best of the sheep, of the oxen, and of the fattened calves and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless they devoted to destruction. The word of the Lord came to Samuel. 
I regret that I have made Saul's king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandment. And Samuel was angry, and he cried to the Lord all night. And Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning. And it was told Samuel, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself, and turned and passed on and went down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul and said to him, Blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowering of the oxen that I hear? And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we have devoted to destruction. Then Samuel said to Saul, Stop. I will tell you what the Lord said to me this night. And he said to him, Speak. And Samuel said, Though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. And the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go, devote to destruction the sinners the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agag, the king of the Amalekites, and I have, devoted to, I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you from being king. Let us pray. Great God and our loving Heavenly Father, we come uh, down to a text uh, that is an example, not only of Saul, but all of your people from the time of the fall, from Adam and Eve up until the, the church. We come because we, as your people, in many ways and at various times, will fall short of your glory. And when we do, we need your grace and your mercy uh, so that we can be drawn back into your favor. We ask now as we look at the text, as you show us from your word, as your spirit enlighten us, help us to learn. 
not just to be confident in you, but to take away pride and vanity and confidence from ourselves and to repent and to trust in you and you alone to save us. We ask that you will bless our time together, encourage us, build us up. We pray that you would give us assurance that our hope and anchor will be steadfastly on Christ, and that we would look upon his face and see grace and mercy, and that we would bow down and worship. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. In God's sight, partial obedience is no obedience at all. In God's sight, partial obedience is no obedience at all. Our story goes all the way back to Exodus 17, verses 14 and 16. Also, there's a reference to it in Numbers 24, verses 20, and then in Deuteronomy, chapter 25, verses 17 through 19. Uh, In these texts of Scripture, God promised to completely blot out the memory of Amalek from under the heaven. God said that he would be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. Again, in Deuteronomy chapter 25, 17 to 19, he says, Remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you came out of Egypt. How he attacked you on the way when you were faint and weary and cut off your tail. Those who were lagging behind you, and he did not fear God. Therefore, when the Lord your God has given you rest from all your enemies around you, in the land that the Lord your God has given you for an inheritance to possess, you shall blot out the memory of Amalek from under the heaven. You shall not forget. And so the time had come for this prophecy, this warning against the Amalekites to be fulfilled. God had chosen his special instrument, none other than King Saul. He would be one who would represent God, and he would be the avenger for God. And he would be God's, he and his army would be God's hosts in executing justice against these pagans. This is called Heron warfare, harem warfare. Robert Bergen says, this kind of warfare, harem, was practiced only against people who had come under the Lord's severest judgment. Example uh, taken from the people of Jericho. It required the destruction of all people and possessions captured in battle. The task was a solemn and holy one since those Israelites who carried it out functioned as the Lord's agents of judgment. And so Saul and his army are tasked with this. And just in our mind's eye, if we can go back two more chapters, in 1 Samuel chapter 10, God had called Saul to be king in 1020 B.C. at the age of 30. Uh, The story there is, is very interesting because when we first meet Saul, even though he's head and shoulder above the rest, he is very humble. Uh, He is one who, when he had been selected to be king, and all of the representatives had had come and gathered 
to anoint him to be king, and the lot fell on him, uh, he was hiding because he didn't want to be seen. But as we study Saul, as he progresses, as he becomes powerful, as his army starts to amass, as his prestige starts to spread and his fame is renowned, Saul becomes proud. He becomes arrogant. He becomes one who loves to take credit for the great things and the great victories that God give him. And when he finds himself pushed against the wall and he has to make a quick decision, he never owns up to his mistake. He always passes the blame to others. And so Saul's story really is a classic example of what the proverb says in Proverbs 16 18, that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. You see, this reality of pride going before destruction and the Holy Spirit before a fall has been true uh, since Adam and Eve, when they decided that they could be like gods, and they disregarded the word of God to refrain from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and plucked it and ate it. And this is also true of the Pharaoh who kept Israel enslaved after God had shown himself powerful in the midst of the Egyptians and God had, through Moses, freed the children of Israel as they were leaving Egypt. This proud Pharaoh chased them to bring them back under his servitude. And God had to open the Red Sea and drown him and forever silencing the pride of that Pharaoh. In our story, we have a case here of a man that God had called to be king a man who had become proud and arrogant, and what we are doing is tracing out what steps he took, how he lost favor with God. And it happened in a very simple way. He was given a command to obey, and he disobeyed, and God demoted him from his place of privilege. And so first, Saul's a God's divine command, verses 1 through 3. If we look at the text, God is very explicit. God sends Samuel, who was the instrument that God used to anoint this man to be king. And Samuel was very, very careful to say the word of the Lord. He said, the Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people Israel because of God's special privilege on my life as the prophet of God in anointing you. God has also sent me, Samuel, to give you this special mission to execute for God. Now, therefore, he says, listen to the word of the Lord. This is a classic prophetic utterance that Samuel proposes. The word of the Lord came to Samuel. Samuel spoke the word of the Lord to the servant of the Lord, Saul, in this case. The word of the Lord was this, in verses 2, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, God of armies, I have noted what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came out of Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. 
And then further he says, do not spare them, but kill both men and women, children, infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. And so this is very plain, this is very explicit, it's very clear. Nothing's left out. Saul, here's your instruction. This is from God. Go and execute. It's pretty easy. But what we have here is this reality of God's command to us, that same very clear-cut and very explicit. We have God's moral law that's given to us. And he says, do and live and don't do and you will die. And so often, we are those who think that we can fulfill God's law in our own strength and in our own power. The 5th century theologian, Augustine, said this, Grant what thou commandest, and command what thou dost desire. Give your command, and then give the power to perform your command. R.C. Spur writes this. He says, This passage from the pen of Augustine of Hippo was the teaching of the great theologian that provoked one of the most important controversies in the history of the church, and one that was roused, and one that was roused to fury in the early years of the fifth century. See, Augustine believed that all of God's command that he's given to us can only be performed in God's strength and by God's grace and mercy. And you say, that's not a controversial statement. Uh, Of course, if you're a Christian and you're a Reformed Christian and you've been listening to the scripture read and preached for any amount of time, you say, yes, I mean, that's that's pretty obvious. Uh, But why did it strike such a controversy? Because there was another theologian, a pastor, a fellow pastor by the name of Pelagius, who thought that if God gives a command in our own strength, we can perform it. We don't need the help of God. If God says to do it, then we can do it. But I think our experience as human beings, just living for the amount of times that we've lived, we know that in our own strength, we are unable to obey God's command. But the problem is still there. God still commands. How do we go about obeying God's command. We can't in our own strength. We need the help of God. Why am I emphasizing this? Because what we're going to see later on in our passage as we continue to read and continue to see Saul is that Saul is one who, because of his place at this time, he had become a great and powerful king He relied on his army, his 12,000-man strong army going against this great Amalekite. He had put himself forward as one who can accomplish what he wants on his own terms, and he didn't need the help of God. He was doing it for his own power to exhibit his own glory. Saul was on display. He was on the pedestal, and he would bring honor and glory to himself. Saul goes out. 
in his attempt to obey the word of God. In verses 9, it says, But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen, of the fattened calves and the lamb and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. What we have in this passage is disobedience or partial obedience. Remember, partial obedience to God is no obedience at all. God was clear and explicit about what he wanted Saul to do. And here is Saul taking liberty. Why would he keep Agag except to put him up as a pedestal, as a victor of war? He kept a spoil to display his might. Here's the king of the Amalekites. I destroy them. Here's my trophy. Disregarding the word of the Lord. And then further, his men, rather, the scripture says, he and his army took the best of the sheep, of the oxen, the fattened calves, the lambs, and all that was good, and they would not utterly destroy it. And then all that was despised and worthless, they devoted to destruction. And so here's a case of a man who doesn't only think highly of himself, but who is in no position to tell his army to follow through on God's command. He wouldn't hold them back. He allowed them to do as they pleased. And in doing so, he disobeyed God. Now, in verses 11, we see something interesting happen. Because this is the only time we see this outside of Genesis chapter 6, when God says he regretted that he did something. God said in verses 11, I regret that I have made Saul king. Why? He has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. Why is God saying this? God is not saying, you know, Saul messed up. You know, he, he kind of did the job and he, he, and he could have followed through with it, but he, he offended me in, in a way that is, you know, he kind of slighted me a bit. And, you know, I'm disappointed with Saul, but, you know, I think he's going to be okay. No, God said he didn't, he didn't obey my command. So this partial obedience, as far as God is concerned, is, is no obedience at all. Saul flat out disobeyed the word of God. And we have here God speaking to Samuel to go back to Saul. And he says, Samuel, the scripture says, second part of verses 11, Samuel was angry and he cried to the Lord all night. He cried to the Lord all night. We can only imagine what Samuel was praying about, but what we find here is he's anxious. He's, he's experiencing a travail of his soul. He's torn up. This is, this is Samuel's first project, the first man he anointed to be king. This is God's man, the king of Israel, the mighty man of God, the, 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 the captain of the host of God's army, Saul, who was taller, more handsome, Smarter than the rest. But these were no excuses. 
for how bad he fell from doing what was right. And so God regrets. And I can only imagine Samuel praying and, and probably saying to God, Lord, would you have mercy on Saul? Would you give me the words to speak to him so that he would turn from his pride and arrogance and turn to you and so that you would have mercy on him? The Lord is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from unrighteousness. So I don't think that would have been an unreasonable prayer for Samuel to make. But what do we see happening as Samuel approaches Saul? Saul is not repentant. Saul doesn't care. As a matter of fact, Saul is saying, I obeyed the voice of the Lord. I did what God commanded me to do. But before we get there, in verses 12, we see again the arrogance of Saul, where he, he, he had this great victory. And what does he do? As Samuel's looking for him, Samuel asks, where is Saul? He probably gets close to where he thought Saul would be. It said it was told Samuel, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, look, he set up a monument for himself. Think about that up front. God has given him this victory. And what does he do? He turns around and set up a monument for himself. Samuel confronts him in verses 13. Samuel came to Saul and said to him, Blessed be you of the Lord, uh, for the, uh, to the Lord. And then Saul says, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. We already know what God thinks about what Saul had done. But here is Saul being put on the spot to come clean before the Lord. And the first thing he does is says, Good to see you, Samuel. I did what God told me to do. All is well. In verses 15, Saul said, They have brought from the Amalekites. They have brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. And the rest we have devoted to destruction. Samuel says, why do, I hear, why do I hear all these sheep bleeding in the background? And Saul says, hold on, Samuel. Let's not get too far ahead of ourselves here. Um, it's, it's the army. That's, that's, that's their problem. They did it, not me. God has some words of warning to say to Saul to get him, give him another chance to repent. In verses 17... Paul, uh, Samuel said to, to Saul, Though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribe of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. Saul, so don't you understand that you're not here? And you, didn't, you, you didn't go about this great victory because you were some hot stuff? but because God was the one who put you here and, and brought all of these people to you and give them uh, to be your people, your host. God made you king. God put you in a place of leadership. God put you in authority. You are under God's authority, and these people are under your authority. You are responsible for their actions. So, 
In verses 18, Samuel says, the Lord sent you on a mission. The Lord said, go and uh, devote the destruction to sinners. The Amalekites fight against them until they are consumed. And then he asked him again, why didn't you obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? Again, in verses 20, Saul says, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. And in verses 21, but the people took up the spoils, the sheep and the oxen, the best of all the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord, your God. Pushing himself again out of the trouble. We have someone here who refuses to acknowledge their sin, refuses to repent. You can only think about how, Saul, uh, uh, how Samuel is feeling at this moment. You've had so many chances, Saul. Get right with the Lord. God sent me on this mission to warn you, get right with the Lord. And he keeps pushing it aside. Uh, this, is, this is not my problem. I, I did everything the Lord asked me to do. The, the, the army was responsible for keeping the sheep. What they had done uh, was akin to what Achan did when the children of Israel had gone to Jericho. When God had condemned that city to be utterly destroyed, Achan saved what was best out of the city. And because of that, he lost his life, both he and his family. This was a capital offense. And, and Saul uh, is flipping about it. I, I did what God asked me to do. And the men, uh, they were the ones who wronged the Lord. And so we have disobedience. The divine command, flagrant disobedience in the face of repeated warning. God is at work to restore Saul, but Saul refuses to come clean. And then in verses 22, to the heart of our passage, Saul is, uh, Samuel is very quick here to kind of poetically, in a, in a sense, curtly just bring the whole thing to a resolution. You had a divine command after repeated pleading with you to see your sin, you would not repent. And so now God is going to do something. God will act when we refuse to come clean to him. In verses 22, Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. And so what God calls this half-obedience of Saul is rebellion. And what, Paul, uh, what Saul was putting forward as as an excuse to say, we're, we're only doing this because we saved the best so we can sacrifice to the Lord and give him the best of the Amalekites. God says, wait, do you think the command to do what I ask you to do is 
it's not as important that you would, you would break my command so you can make sacrifices to me? Do you think I would prefer sacrifices? And he says, rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft or divination. What is God getting at here? This is a capital offense. God had forbid his people. In Numbers 23 and Deuteronomy 18, he says, don't engage in the divination and the witchcraft that the pagan nations are practicing. I see all of these pagan nations have been committing themselves to manipulating the supernatural elements of the world and what Paul would tell us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, that behind these idols that these pagans worship and consult uh, are demons. And so God would have nothing to do with the pagan nations. He would have nothing to do with the nations around Israel because they were involved in consulting demons. They were using demonic powers to find out about the future and predict the weather and then produce and then give them prosperity and things of that such. But the relationship that Israel had with these pagan gods or that the people around Israel had with their gods wasn't the same relationship that Israel had with the living God, Jehovah. The relationship that the pagans had with their gods as idols were the gods only wanted sacrifices. Uh, they weren't as concerned about what you did with, with your life. You know, you give them what they want and then you can do whatever else you want. And so God imposed a criminal penalty on witchcraft and divination. And God says that Saul's act of rebellion is akin to that of the pagans who disregard the true living God and who would have nothing to do with him but would rather consult with demons. And this is how serious God takes disobedience. He doesn't see it as a small sin, something that is, ah, try harder next time. He sees this as full-on rebellion. He sees this as witchcraft. And he says, again, presumption or rebellion is as iniquity and as idolatry. And this idolatry here is in reference to uh, the practice of keeping these small household gods uh, that the nation around Israel had. They kept them and hit them. Rachel had one, or she had some that she stole from her father, Laban. And God says disobedience. It's like idol, it's like idol worship. It's, it's, it's so hideous. It's so heinous in the sight of God that it's worthy of, of death. And so partial obedience is no obedience at all. And so because of Saul's disobedience, God demoted him. God stripped the kingship away from him. Stripped him away. Stripped the kingship away from him. The last part of verses 23, he says, Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, the commandment that we see in verses 1. He has rejected you from being king. And so rebellion and disobedience come with a steep punishment. And so here we have a classic case of, of a king, a, a great and powerful man, who because of his pride, 
has come to a ruin, come to a fall. What God desired was obedience, and he disobeyed. What God desires from us is obedience, and we too disobey. None of us, in our own strength, have the might to fully obey the command of God. And so where does that leave us? Leave us without hope in this world, like the pagans. The scripture doesn't leave us there. It tells us, but God, who is rich in mercy, wherewith his great mercy, he sought us out. And he raised us up together in Christ. We cannot fully obey. We, as those who are rebellious, who have broken the law of God, the scripture says, the wages of sin is death. We who are deserving of sin, who are deserving of death because of our sin, the scripture says, God called us. He elected us. He adopted us into his family. He, through his son Jesus Christ, perfectly obeyed the law of God for us. Isaiah 53 tells us that he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities and the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. And God made him to be sin for us who knew no sin so that we could be made the righteousness of God in him. And so because of Christ, Philippians 2.8 says, And being found in human, Christ, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death of the cross. He bore our sins and our burdens, and he made them his very own. What we couldn't do and what we deserve judgment and justice for, Christ bore on himself. And so because of him, we can come near to God. We can come with hearts that are humbled, and we too can come and repent, turn from our sin, and God will have mercy like the prodigal and forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we too can say with Augustine, grant what thou commandest and command what thou dost desire. Let us pray together. Our great God and our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and mercy that we find in Christ. That we who are a rebellious people have been given grace and mercy in the person of our Lord who have suffered and died for our sins so that we can be reconciled to you. We pray that we would come into his presence daily, weekly, monthly, acknowledging that we in our own strength cannot, but by your power and by your grace, we can walk in newness of life and bring honor and glory to our Lord Jesus Christ. We come asking all of this in his name. Amen.